serving in the ministry capacity? Discipleship, church administration. Discipleship and church administration. Good, good. <clears throat> well, today we're going to be talking about ministering to five generations. And um, it's exciting. I have my good friend from Shelby, North Carolina, Pastor Robert Coleman. We've been friends for how many, 20 years? Yeah, a long time. And, uh, he's in one of our, our pastor's groups, and um, we have talked about this before. So it's um, pretty interesting, some of the things. So some of the, some of the excerpts uh, that I will share uh, come from Shaw. Uh, what's his name? Uh, good grief, I can never remember his name. Hayden Shaw. Hayden Shaw. Sticking points. He comes from the aspect from a business standpoint, but what I talk about today is from the ministry standpoint in our churches today. All right? Everybody good? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a great day. Thank you for these um, leaders that you have uh, sent this way. Uh, pray for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. Teach us and give us the nuggets that we need to help us to advance the kingdom of God and the minister uh, to the people that you send our way in our various ministries. I pray today, God, that you will silence the noises inside of our heads and you will help us to and restore us and strengthen us with your grace and your mercy. Bless us and keep us in your perfect peace. We love you and we give you praise, honor, and glory. It's in the precious and powerful, holy, and blood-washed name of Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, I thought we were going to have a PowerPoint today, but um, don't have in this room the, the setup for it. So uh, I do apologize for that. <clears throat> Uh, I work with the uh, Baptist State Convention, work with uh, pastors, uh, African-American churches uh, throughout uh, the state of North Carolina. Uh, what a pleasure. I was just sharing with someone uh, my testimony <clears throat> uh, probably about 40 some years ago, um, surrendered my life to Christ and I went to tell my mom that I had given my life to Christ. But mom didn't believe me. <laughs> and she says, uh, come go to church with me. <laughs> and so uh, finally I went to church with mom and her pastor after the uh, service was over, her pastor comes down. Mom is standing on my left and the pastor is in front of us. And the pastor looks at me. She turns, she looks at mom. She looks back at me and then she turns and she looks at mom and says, yeah, he's saved. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she turns to me and she says, you're going to preach the gospel and you're going to travel all around the world. I'm like, I didn't even have a clue what she was talking about at the present time. So, but everything that my mom's pastor said came to fruition. I've had the opportunity to travel all over different countries. Um, many, many times for many, many years. Um, Asia, India, Africa, all different parts of Africa. And uh, it's been a blessing. Some years later, my mom, uh, pastor, um, said to me, she said, people are going to want you to pastor them, but God is calling you to be a pastor to pastors. And again, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I wanted to pastor. That's what uh, God had called me to do, and that's what I enjoyed doing. That's what I love to do. But eventually, I got the message. So um, that's what I do. I work with pastors and, um, and uh, walk alongside them and try to encourage them along the way. Uh, so today, uh, let's dive in to talk about uh, ministering to five generations. Uh, so when you, when you look at this, this, the whole dynamics of the makeup of the church today is different. Uh, when I was coming up, uh, it was basically two generations, the parents and the child. Um, but now it's, it's totally different. Uh, we have uh, uh, the, the Gen Z's uh, are the ones that's in college coming into the workforce now. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the millennials. Uh, the millennials are... Um, uh, 
sort of exciting. I have, I have uh, some millennials. <laughs> Different than when I was growing up. Um, and then we have the Xers, uh, the Xers and then the Boomers. Um, and then we have the traditionalists or the seniors. Uh, we called them seniors or we called them builders. So let's go. The builders or the traditionalists were born um, before 1945. And uh, then the baby boomers came 1946 to 1964. Uh, and then you have the Gen Xers um, were born 1965 and, um, to 1968. And then you have the, I'm sorry, um, to the Gen Xers were 1965 to 1980. And then you have the millennials 1981 um, to around 1998. And now the Gen Z's, 1999 to uh, the present time, 2019. Um, so our world is, is drastically changing. Uh, society is changing. And we have to look at many different ways of how we minister to the people that are, that are in, our, in our churches today. Now, the generational, we look at the generational differences um, what we study, you think about the boomers. Uh, any boomers in here? Boomers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the boomers, um, they're interested in life issues. Um, millennials, they, they are into the, uh, the, the tough biblical issues. They, they struggle with some of the things that are in the Bible that we read. I have a pastor friend. Uh, in uh, in, uh, in Atlanta, in uh, well, Decatur, Georgia, he's pastoring. He pastors a, a large church, and he, he he said this to me. He said, he said, I have two services. My early morning service is basically the older people that come to the early morning service. He says, but after uh, the second service, he says, I have I have younger people, the millennials, and he says I was preaching on uh, uh, the three Hebrew boys, and he asked a question. He says. Um, uh, you, you all know about the, the three Hebrew boys, right? I said, no, Pastor, who, who is that? T -t -tell, can you explain that to us, right? So it's how do you help the millennials and the, the Gen Xers really understand the biblical characters and uh, the things that, that's in the Bible, like the three Hebrew boys? How do you help them to understand what it means to be in a fiery furnace? We can't teach them like we were taught. We accepted the Bible as it was taught to us. But the younger generations have questions. Well, what does that mean? The three Hebrew boys being thrown in a fiery furnace. How do you make that relate to them in the 21st century? Because they have lots of questions. Well, how did that all happen? How did they do it? How did they stand? So it's finding ways to be able to, especially for pastors and ministers and teachers, how do you craft your sermon? How do you prepare your lesson if you have multi-generations in your presence? And how do you break it down for each one of those generations? So that's the thing that we have to learn how to do um, in being able to seek God to help give us the wisdom and the knowledge of breaking it down. So when I stand up to preach, I can't just preach one message that's directed to one generation or two generations anymore. I have to break it down to minister to each one of those generations so they will understand it and they will get something out of it. So again, millennials, uh, the biblical tough issues. So how do we worship? For the boomers, uh, they, they want excellence. That's, that's, that's what they strive for. They strive for excellence. Worship, the singing, the preaching, and the teaching. But the millennials, they're, they're experimental. You know, they're, they're different. They're, they're looking to see how all this has taken place. How does this help me when I go out into the world? When I go to school, when I go to work, when I'm in the community, how does this help me? How do we engage? The boomers like to like to engage in person. Uh, the millennials, they're just ongoing. Uh, 
continuously. So now, you know, I asked the question, what, what millennials want? And this is, this is a whole lesson within itself, really, when you think about it. Um, I had a video that I wanted you to hear from Simon Sinek, and he talks about, talks about the millennials and how the millennials, they feel like they are privileged. Um, everything is due to them. That's because of, that's the way they have grown up. Millennials are, again, the current generation, the young adults that, that they're sort of right there, right behind those Gen Xers. And we'll dive into some of this a little bit later, but think about it. They, they are noted as belonging to a generation that is extremely tech savvy. Now, and they're dependent on their technology. You ever seen young people walking down? They're just walking and they're not even paying attention. They're just looking. They're doing this. That's all. That's that's what they do. They stay on technology all the time. So how can you use this in your church? How can you use the millennials in your church? Because they have something to offer. Uh, I remember talking to one pastor and he would he would tell me that the boomers are the older people. They really didn't get along with the younger people. And they didn't like the songs they liked. The younger people didn't like the songs the older people liked, right? So it was, you know. And so he said, the way that I had to solve the problem, I had to say to the, to the, to the, to the grandmothers and to the mothers, he said, he said that, that, that's your grandson, that's your granddaughter. They, and he began to put them together and said, you got to begin to Listen to them. They have something to offer to the church, uh, just like you had something to offer to the church when you were growing up. And so we have to respect what they have to say. But you also have to teach them when they're when they're going down the wrong direction. And so it's about bringing people together and helping them to understand um, the, the, the millennials. They, they like this instant gratification as a as a right or as a privilege, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, they are team oriented. And when it comes to completing tasks, they want to know, OK, how are we going to do what you just said to us? How what you're teaching us? How are we going to do this? Because I, I was teaching a class uh, last last night, uh, leaders, and we talked about how a lot of times we don't do the work of the church. We just work in the church. So. When we do the work of the church, that means we work outside of the church in the community. How do you engage in the community with young people and bringing them up to understand what it means to be a part of the church? A lot of times the young people think, uh-uh, that's not for me. Uh, and so when you think about the millennials, is so important that we help them because we are to be able to mentor them and coach them along the way because they're going to become the next leaders along with the Gen Xers. Let me stop. Question, comments, concerns. Is, is this making sense to anybody? So how do we how do we reach them? I, I want to go through this quickly because I have some other pieces that I think are important. But first of all, our role as leaders is not to call them out, but to coach them up. When I was coming up, old people, they kind of like, mm -mm, no, you're not ready for that yet. They just looked at you like, oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> so they pushed us away as young people. So now we have to, as leaders and preachers and teachers and pastors, how do you coach them up? How do you mentor them? How do you help them to understand the importance of serving God? Now, the millennials, they want to be in the community in serving. They don't want to just serve in the church because they want to put what they're learning in action. Make sense? Talk back to me. Am I, am I off base here? Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. My experience, and I've been pastoring the church I met at Hoffman's Chapel uh, Baptist Church in Shelby, North Carolina, for 17 years. I've seen a lot of our older members become old 
and a lot of them have died out. And now we got that millennial group mm -hmm. that uh, Dr. Richardson is talking about. And me, as a pastor, as a leader, I had to change my style. One was we had to blend worship with the old hymns with contemporary. Then we went to two services. Like Dr. Richardson said, the younger crowd would come to the morning service, but the older crowd wanted that traditional service. But the point I want to make, and I think Dr. Richardson has made an excellent point, now I'm, I'm, I have to, I'm, I'm learning how to train and minister and mentor young people. They always want to know why. Why do I have to do this? Why do usher do what she does? Why do these guys are standing up front lead devotion? You know, and you have to be able to explain that to them. And and if you don't, you'll lose them. Uh, another thing I'm learning with them, uh, when you talked about the discipleship part of it, and one reason I'm here and I'm taking this refresher course because I got to relearn these folks again. But what I'm learning is you have to walk along with them. You can't push them off. You can't talk down on them. Mm -hmm. You just got to look at them as people, young people growing up, and just t teach them. And they love the community. Mm -hmm. They love mm -hmm. protests. They, I mean, when he said out in the community, I don't care if it's a, it's, it could be a hog fest. And it's something about church. They want to be in the hog fest. You know, they just love community involvement. You know things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And remember, we did uh, did a I did a retreat for you some couple yeah. few years ago before the pandemic hit, yeah. and you had a lot of your millennials as leaders that were there, yeah. and you shared with me when they got back, they were fired up about oh, yeah. getting out in the community and doing things in the community. Um, and again, can I just add one piece? Yeah, technology. We we wouldn't have been prepared for the pandemic, or media, technology, and being able to go on Facebook and YouTube and all that. But the men, uh, millennium, he taught them, put your media team together. I had no idea this pandemic was coming. Now we can connect with our seniors, we can connect with all our people, because you couldn't gather for a while, you remember? And I'm telling you, they are technology sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we make judgment uh, on on other generations, we lose the position to influence them. Um, uh, Ricardo Gonzalez wrote a book, uh, Six Stages of Culture Mastery. And in those six stages, I don't have time to go through them. But um, I think when we put these six stages in in our churches and we put them to work, not just for the millennials, but for every generation. It's for all of us, really. When you talk about, first of all, the first stage he talks about is education. And that means both ways. We're educating ourselves towards them, helping them to understand us, and they're helping us to understand them. So it's that educational piece to get to know them, to understand them. What is it that they like? What is it that they dislike? What is it that they're looking for? Then the engagement part, being able to engage with them, being able to uh, say, OK, I'm, I'm beginning to understand where you're coming from now. Uh, so how can we work together to make these things happen? Uh, the empathy stage, uh, feeling, feeling what they feel. Um, it, that's an important piece because a lot of times we just feel because they're young people, they don't, they don't know any better. They don't, they don't understand. But it's our responsibility to be able to teach them uh, and then being excited with them and for them uh, when, they're, when they're going through and uh, getting uh, whatever things that are happening in their lives. Can we be excited with them and for them? Uh, then empowerment, empowering them. Uh, empowering them to serve God in the way that they know how or they feel like this is going to help. And then the endearment, you know, being able to love them, right? Is being able to love them in spite of what we feel or what we think, because we didn't have it all together, right? I mean, when I know I didn't, I still don't have it all together. I'm still trying to get there myself. But, <laughs> um, but those are some, some key pieces when you look at the millennials. Now, here's a key piece. Don't mistake uh, the millennials, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Gen, the Gen Zs for the millennials. Different altogether. 
uh, you think about differences and look at the Gen Z's, the Gen Z's, they um, they kind of like they, they multitask. They like five screens in front of them. They, they can do that. And believe me, I have a grandson. He's not even a Gen Z. He's about he's going on four years old. I go to visit him with my son. Right. And so he has I've, I've given him an iPad. His dad has an iPad. And, and then when I go, he has, he wants his iPad, he wants his dad iPad, and then my iPad. He's just working them. <laughs> he works all of them at the same time. He got one going on over here, one going on over here. And I'm like, how does he do that at three years old? <laughs> and so just imagine the, the, the Gen Z's, they want five screens, the millennials, two screens. Uh, they, they operate multitask as well. But the Gen Z's, they communicate with images. The millennials communicate with text. The Gen Z's like to create things. The millennials like to share things. The Gen Z's are future focused. But the millennials, they'll focus on the present. The Gen Z's are realists. The millennials are optimists. Think about all these things. Uh, the Gen Z's want to work for success, but the millennials want to be discovered. Look at the difference. So think about when you're ministering to the uh, not just ministering to the, the, these different generations in your churches, but how are you going to reach them? How are you going to bring them into the ministry? Now, uh, I gave some stats out last night when I was teaching the leaders uh, uh, at uh, the church uh, leadership. And these stats are probably different now because of the pandemic. You have four thousand churches that are closing their doors every year. Four thousand churches every year. Think about that. You have three thousand five hundred people that are leaving the church every day, not every week, not every month, not every year, every day. Thirty five hundred people are leaving the church. What are we going to do? That we have to look at these different generations and and find out what is it? How can we minister to them? We're not compromising the gospel. Never. The message never changes. But the methodology. How do we get to know them, know what they are looking for? In the church and us as leaders. The Gen Z's, they have never known nothing but the Internet. That's all they've ever known. Um, cell phones, that's all they've ever known. And so they depend on their cell, their Internet, their smartphones. They spend between six and nine hours a day absorbing media looking at uh, different things on the internet. Um, now, here's a key piece that I think is important. The Gen Z's um, research has shown that they are more apt to be friends with everybody, all eth ethnic groups, the LBGTQ community, they don't care. They just interact with anybody. And so now here's a question that I bring up and I brought this up to some of the pastors uh, in some of our classes. And what I what I asked, I, so I asked them what what happens when Two males or two females come to you as pastor and say, Pastor, we want you to marry us. What are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? <laughs> what are you going to say to them? Mm. Yes, sir. One of the questions 
me and the youth pastor were just talking about this past week was um, how we were going to respond if we had a child come and, uh, like, when we break off guys and girls, if they were just mm-hmm. like a transgender person, how do we respond to that child that says, I'm, I'm this or that? So that question's in there for us as well. Yeah, because we have to begin looking at that. You can't overlook those things. You, you, you have to begin putting in place... Uh, even in your bylaws, your, 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 your bylaws have to state. So when, when that happens, you already squared away and ready for it. It's not that you don't love them and care for them, but you don't condone what they're doing. So they have to understand that. So there's no backlash when that happens. The other thing is being able to help them to understand when they first come to your church, as members and joining your church, how are you going to assimilate them through the life of the church? New members orientation. That should be the first place where they understand what your core values are, what the purpose of this church is, what the vision of this church, what we believe and what we condone and what we don't condone. That way they know that up front. It won't be a surprise to them. And they know that this is something that this church does not condone. So they have to make the decision whether they want to stay at this church or whether they want to go somewhere else. Now, the pastor uh, uh, and leadership uh, training I was in last night and see, he said something that I was like, I was appalled. Uh, He said there is this 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 uh, gay pastor started a church. And he said he could not believe that the church had already grown to like 1,500 people in the church. And I'm like, wow. You all, like, you all don't look shocked. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Then he tells, he says, there's another church that the pastor is gay and he has a first gentleman. I'm like, what? <laughs> But people are going to those churches. You see how the world is shifting, changing. It's a new paradigm. Hey, my, my son's a probation officer in Asheville. We see more probably than anybody in the state in some ways. And he says one of the things the church is missing is um, those groups really take care of each other. But mm-hmm. the church doesn't take care of them. Like, they see how we treat each other. Mm-hmm. So they're not safe to come in. So those people yeah. have an automatic grab to them. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. I, have a, I had a conversation uh, with someone, uh, I think it was just a couple of days ago, and talking about how the church is so judgmental of people. Um, how do we deal with that? Because people on the outside are looking in and saying, I don't want to be a part of that. If that's the way Christians act, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be a believer. How do we deal with that? Y'all, this is real. This, these are things that we have to look at in today's society and how we're going to minister to people outside of the church, how we're going to help them to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. How are we going to give them the truth when we're not living the truth? How are we going to witness to them or tell them about a Jesus that we say we love and we believe in when we don't even love and believe in our own selves and the people that we we serve with alongside of and minister to? Gotta be all truth and all grace, not just one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Finding that spot where people can explore what you believe, where there's a place where we're comfortable with them being, even when they're not like us yet. Mm. And that's that's what we're working on in that area a lot. Um, and that sounds awful, but I was a missionary in Africa, and he was talking about cultural constructs, like things that we've never dealt with before, like a, well, polygamy. Mm-hmm. When you leave, when somebody 
is saved and has seven lives. Mm. We deal with that all the time. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. have to figure out how can they come and learn about Christianity without being judged out before we give them a chance to yeah. them. That's good. That's good. I like that. that. Was, you know, I think I learned a lot from that that there has to be a a place they can be with us but not be us yet to learn. Yeah, it's a gradual progression. It's a, a steady progress. It's um, it's something that I think that we have not learned how to do uh, because again, I don't I know for my for me in growing up and even even as a pastor watching people judge someone else when maybe they have fallen they have done something that this person feel like oh no this can't be right you can't you can't be in the church so what happens why do we push them away instead of helping them right we have to learn how, just like you said, there's a steady progression in teaching them. We can't push them away because then we push them away. Guess what? They get mad at one church, but then they think that's every church. And so now they they back away from the church. Um, there's a research that has been done that says almost 23 percent of um, the uh, America's adult and a third of the millennials they call them nuns, <laughs> saying that they have no religion at all. They don't believe in it, uh, religion, no, no identity of anything. The Gen Z's is, again, they are very secularized. Um, again, we're dealing with a generation of people, millennials, the Gen Z's, we're dealing with these younger people that have their own mindset and their own way of thinking. Yeah, of course, we have ours as the Xers and the Boomers, and especially as the senior adults. <laughs> you know, they're set right there. They're, they're not going to move. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> they're rooted and grounded. You're not going to change their minds. Uh, but at least for the boomers and the X's, we have an opportunity here to be able, going back to what you say, is that steady progression of, of teaching them, not, not judging them, not pushing them away. Uh, raise a question. Yes, sir. Uh, make a comment. And I found it fascinating. I got a young lady who's going into the ministry, and, and we've been working with her. She has led, and I'm, I'm referring to peer relationships. Mm-hmm at their own age, she has won 10 people to Christ within the last year. And I'm watching her. She's using technology. Mm-hmm. She may put a little one-minute clip, you need to repent. You need to be <laughs> born again. And she's getting a 1,000 hits. I'm preaching every Sunday. Thank you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm making is I'm training her and she's going back and winning the peers because she can relate to them on their level. Mm-hmm, Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, yeah. So what, what I hear you saying, pull those young people in that's interested, teach them, train them, and send them out. I, I mean, I'm, that's what Jesus did. I'm stumped. I stumbled on that. I can't take credit for that. I just stumbled. <laughs> I came to me and said, Pastor, I've been called into the ministry. Of course, I sent out mm-hmm, three mm-hmm. times, like Samuel did, Elijah Samuel, and she kept coming back. I said, She's serious. And then I, she started learning and learning. You got to teach them. Because if you don't teach them, they, don't, they won't know what to teach. But anyway, but she's going out and she's relating to them. She's not judging them. She said, just come. Mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. like, you like. If you don't, it's okay. Right, right. You know. Yeah, yeah. But that means on my end, I have to give up that power. Well. Delegate. Yeah, the delegation is, I think that's, that's what we all have to do. We can't do it all. That's what Jeffro told Moses. Mm-hmm. You can't do this alone. You have to have a team of people working alongside you and you have to learn how to delegate. But we have to train them before I can delegate to you. I must train you. See, back in the day, it was okay. I need you to serve in this ministry. I need you to do this. So go do it. But no, 
we have to train them and help them to know what their responsibilities are. And then we send them out. Jesus didn't just say, hey, Peter, you come. Hey, John, you come. And, and then y'all go. No, he took three years to train them. I'm not saying we take three years to train, but I'm just saying Jesus had a model. Why can't we follow his model? He coached them up and he sent them out. Um, so have you ever, ever heard, have you ever heard the term? They don't get it. Have you ever said that before? They just don't get it. Talking about the young people, right? Uh, I, I, I know my, my mom would say that. I would say that about my mom, rather. I'm sorry. I reverse that. She, she don't get it. <laughs> right? So um, it's frustrating. And it's frustrating in all generations uh, when that term, that, that phrase comes up, they don't get it. And what that means is that uh, the pastor, the church members or the family members from uh, from different generations uh, who is the person speaking uh, believes that their cause is more important or what they believe is what's right. Hmm? And so usually it refers to one of the following 12 sticking points. This is what um, Hayden Shaw talks about. He talks about these sticking points, places where members get stuck and a sticking point. Sticking points are when two different generations are asked the same question and come up with two different answers. Two different generations ask the same question and comes up with two different answers. Opposing answers. <laughs> That's good. I like it. Uh, yeah. Opposing <laughs> answers. Right. Um, and so each generation attempts to maneuver the other into seeing the sticking point their own way. They're looking at it from their point of view, what they feel, what they believe. Right. Now, uh, once once we get it, we realize that these sticking points are more than generational differences. They are the catalyst for deeper conversations that can, if it's done right, build understanding and appreciation. It goes back to what I said earlier is being able to educate yourself learn that generation, learn about those generations that are in your church. You may not have all five in there right now, or you may have two or three, but still you have differences in your church and you have those sticking points in your church. So then we have to learn again, I say, how do we communicate to them? How do we deal with decision-making with them? We are accustomed to making decisions different than the millennials, than the Gen Z's, right? How are you going to deal with the dress code? Hmm. Feedback. Will they be able to have fun at church? When I was coming up, it wasn't about having fun at church. It was about going to church and learning. That was it. Hmm. It's different today. How are you going to transfer the knowledge, spiritual knowledge, the Bible and teaching them? Again, I say it's a different way. The way that we teach today and teaching the younger people is different than the way that we were taught. Um, commitment, loyalty, respect, dealing with the, the rules, the regulations, the policies and things like that. So uh, I want to talk about seven, seven ways generations will impact your church. First of all, the conflict around generations, um, generational sticking points. You have to remember, uh, first of all, how do you get five generations of uh, church members to serve and worship together? Again, think about it. The traditionalists or the seniors, they like different music, different songs. I got you. One word, compromise. <laughs> yeah, compromise. That's a good word, right? 
But have we learned how to do that, though? Mm -mm. Yeah. And compliment, compromise. Yeah. All of those are, are, are good pieces, but we have to put them in place. Compromise or crippling your church. <laughs> you can't just tolerate each other. It's going to work. Well, it's a difference when you talk about tolerating and compromising, though. Um, I don't think we have we have to tolerate things. I think we have to learn how to get along together, worship together and serve together. We all have our different differences. We all have our different ways of, of worship. We all have our different um, choice of music, what we feel that should be sung in the church. All these different generations. Uh, again, you got to look at it. How are you going to minister to them? And I. I'm not saying go back and change the whole dynamics of your church. I'm saying learn how to deal with these generations, these different generations in your church. It's not about tolerating, but it is about how we're going to do things differently than we've been doing in the past. I think that number, that 4,000 number is so high because too many churches say we're not going to. Yeah. No, that's good. So therefore, 4,000 are sitting on a year. It was a year, what was it you said? A year, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when that generation dies off, there's no more. And you're not reaching outside. That's well, I, I think there are other factors associated with with that number. I mean, if you look at our community, we got two associations in our county, 120 churches. Do we need 120 churches to cover that population? Probably not. At the time, we did because of travel restrictions. People weren't as mobile. Mm -hmm. Now people are moving differently. So I think some of that is is going to happen. I don't know what percentage of the 4,000 is that part of it, but some of that, some of that, and I had a pastor tell me it was easier to give birth than raise the dead, so, um, you know, they start a new church. So we see new, that's just 120-something Baptist churches in, in a little rural county, and then you got all the new churches that are coming up. So I don't think there's a shortage of churches, not in our county. I, I can stand on front porch of mine and hit three, so, I mean, with a slingshot. So, but there are a good many of used to be as well as churches that are of yesterday because there are because they didn't mold with, with the times. Um, yeah, but I agree with what you're saying though, uh, because of that. And you know, it's it, it's impossible to create a church culture that every that's going to fit every generation. I mean, you can't just go and change everything just to appease everybody. You're never going to appease everybody. What we're talking about here today is basically learning the, about these different generations and how you're going to reach them, how you're going to minister to them. It's not to say that we have to appease them on every level. That, that's not going to happen. You, you're not going to appease everybody. So what we have to do is learn how we're going to minister to them and help them to know the way to Christ. I see you back there. What's what's happening? I think one thing is different perspective, maybe, but not to disagree with anybody. But I don't see any place in the Bible where God helps a church die or wants a church to die. I don't see any place in Scripture where there's too many churches. But I do see in Scripture where God takes His lampstand away from churches because they forgot who the first love was. Mm -hmm. And He said He'd walk in the mock and then we'll do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think. How do you lose your first love when it's not so much about what Christ wants but what we want? Mm -hmm. And that right there is going to get you off generational ministry right off the bat because Christ wants to minister to all of them. Mm -hmm. So it's the flexibility of the flexibility of going back to the common ground. What's the common ground for all those generations? That's a good point. The common ground. I like that. The common that. ground is everybody in this room, if we're all saved, all had the same need, all got the same Savior, all received the same Spirit, yeah. all supposed mm -hmm. to worship for the same reason who He is and not what style of music it is. If you come to that common ground, it begins to bridge the gap between the generations, I feel like. Well, I, I, I like I that. I really just think that the church, accepting that the churches are going to go away when they represent Christ, Christ doesn't go away, so the church should go away. Yeah. I think, too, sometimes church policy and what you say or believe impact people. And I think it's almost like the Ford car. One time the Model T Ford was the main car. And, and 
somebody said to them that there's a Honda or a Toyota coming to Ford, to build a Ford car, they said, we'll just make them blue. And guess what? The Ford car stayed the same, and then there's a new group of car makers came in, the Honda and Toyota, and they took over. What I'm saying is, what probably worked in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s in our churches probably was good. But as you talked about these different generations, some of these things that we did would not work. And we're going to have to adapt, adjust, and be a little more flexible. Yeah, and I go back to what, what what's your name? Jeff. Jeff. What Jeff said, I think, is, again, when you look at common ground, it's common ground. Uh, again, no, all of us are not going to agree on everything. Um, but how do we meet together to be able to advance the kingdom of God? So again, I say learning the different generations, discipling them, coach them, send them out. How do we do that? That's what your church as leaders, you have to come up with a strategy. I can't tell you because every church is different. But what I'm saying to you today is we have to understand the different dynamics with each of these generations. If we're going to minister to them, if we're going to be able to disciple them, what is it that's appealing to them that can draw them in to help them to understand who Jesus is? That's the key piece. And then they're going to have to grow and mature and to learn just like we did. I didn't get it at first. I didn't understand all of it at first, but over the years in growing, first of all, they had to get me in the church to surrender my life to Christ and begin to be taught the Bible in such a way that I can understand the Bible. Second, that we talked about earlier, we have to stop being judgmental of these different generations because they don't act like we act. They don't. They don't see things the way we see it. I, I didn't see things the same way my mom saw things. I was, hey, I felt, hey, my mom, mom, you old. You don't get it, right? But when I came, became a, <laughs> a grown person and I look back, I say, okay, mom, I see what you're saying now. I understand differently. And so the thing is teaching, it's mentoring, it's discipling them. How are you going to bring them in? First of all, to teach them, to disciple them. Small groups. Having something that interests them, that can help them, that can teach them. They want to know, are you for me? There are many people out there and even these younger generations that they are looking for family. When I was a police officer and I worked undercover, uh, I, I was a beach bum. That's what I dressed up like every day. I wore the same clothes every day. When I had hair, I never combed my hair. They thought I was a bum. They didn't know that I was a police officer. But I got to hang out with them and I listened to the gangs. There were lots of gang members. And you know, some of those gang members said to me, they said, hey, we can't get the love and the attention at home. But these gang, I, when I joined this gang, they gave me that. So there are people out there that don't have family, that don't have nobody to give them that love and attention. And what about the church? The church is where they should be able to come and get that love and that attention without being judged for who I am. What do you say to um, a couple that come in your church? They're not married, but the lady is pregnant. What are you going to do with that, that person? Right? Are you going to say, hey, you, mm -mm, you can't be a part of our church. You can't serve in our church. You're not married. How are you going to deal with it? I'm not saying you have to condone that. No, we don't condone that, right? But how are you going to deal with it? All these things come up. How are you going to minister to these different generations and the different things that they do? They don't do it like we do. We did, right? So what do you, these are things for you to think about, to come up with. Your strategies, how are you going to deal with that when it happens? Are you going to kick them out? Or are you going to begin to teach them the right way and say, hey, this is the way that it's supposed to be done. Hey, we all made mistakes.
But now, let's learn how to do this the right way. There's a book I read uh, many, many years ago, Larry, Larry Lee, Can You Not Tarry One Hour? He tells a story about uh, a homosexual that came in his office one day and he said, Pastor, he says, I'm gay. Larry Lee says he responded back to him and says, who told you that? Right. And he began to tell him the right way to do it and share with him and teach him. He didn't say, OK, well, you can't be a part of my church. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, so we have to manage and motivate these different generations. Manage and motivate. Um, whether it's an older Older leaders trying to motivate younger members or millennials leaders trying to direct people, uh, their parents age or figure out how they're unlike them. Now, one of the other things that I think is so important is we have to begin to look at this right here. The traditionalists. The baby boomers phasing out. How are you going to prepare your, your ministry for the next generation? Who will you bring on board following the exodus of the baby boomers? And even many of the traditionalists are already out because they, they just, they're not able to come to church. Some have died off and some are just not able to, to attend church. How are you going to begin to train, teach them? They have to be taught again. Look at Jesus's model. What did he do? He taught every chance he, he got. He was teaching. Am I off base, y'all? Hmm? We have to learn to do that same thing. Even if you, you said, hey, I'm going to pick these five people, these five young people, and I'm going to disciple them. I'm going to mentor them or not you yourself, but you have leaders, facilitators, teachers that you have trained or that they are trained that can say, Let me just take this small group of young people and begin to disciple them. Not judge them, but disciple them. So when you think about over the next decade, many of the baby boomers will will be moving out. It's, it's, it's time now. Hmm. What's going to be that common ground for you? <laughs> so here's the thing. What's your succession plan? Think about that. Do you trust the Gen Xers to lead ministries in your church? Will you trust the millennials to lead ministries in your church? Hmm? So it's putting in place leadership development, teaching them how to be leaders. Where will you get your leaders from now? How are you going to minister to them? To them? The leadership development process that work uh, for the boomers may not work for the the next generation because they think different. Now, uh, Pastor Coleman, you can you can relate to this um, for for the black church, <laughs> you know, our style of preaching and, and teaching. Right. Uh, for our style of preaching and teaching for not not all of not all of us, but a lot of our our, our pastors and preachers, we call it. It's the it's the um, it's the celebration time at the end of the sermon. And it's when that pastor, he he gets he gets excited and he gets happy and he he moves into his ministerial overdrive, if you will. <laughs> Hoopology, right? <laughs> that was back in the day. Your traditionalists, your your um, your your baby boomers. Oh, they love it. They love that. Right. But now. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right? So the traditionalists and the, and the boomers, they, they love that. They, they, if you didn't do that, then you didn't preach. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. But, but think about the millennials and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the Gen Zs, they don't like that. They want, you to, they want you to lecture. They want you to teach them. They want to be educated. So now coming, coming up now, you don't hear a whole lot of the, that, the hoopology, right? <laughs> um, I remember I had, a, I had a pastor come do a revival for me. And all while he was teaching and preaching the sermon, and uh, you know, you had the older people, they were just sitting back there like this. But when he got to his ministry overdrive, Boy, they were, they were up. They were happy. <laughs> but it's different now. The young people, they want to be taught. They want to be in the church, but they don't want that traditional style of church anymore. How are you going to give them what they're looking for? Right? Has this made sense to you all? Yes. Has it helped anybody? Give me some takeaways. We got about four minutes. Some takeaways. What, what, do, what do you gain? And I didn't even get through everything. But. Just got to figure out that balance. Yeah. The balance. I like balance and um, common ground. That's two good words. Balance and common ground. It was helpful for me to hear about the Gen Z, what, what was a valuable to them mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to help me understand how I need to. Okay. That's good. That's good. All right. Somebody else. Okay. Right, right. It's, it's slow coming. It, yeah, yeah. It takes an event to shake us up. Yeah. A, tra a tragedy to, to mm -hmm, get mm -hmm. us open our hearts where God can speak to us. But uh, I'm, I'm just thankful to kind of see things turn. That's good. That's I good. I see some more kids in their Sunday school rooms that's empty right now. That's, yeah, it, yeah. It, it breaks your heart when you see the church do that. Yeah. You see family split. split. Right, right. Age, age groups divide. Yeah, I think one thing... You're talking about equipping the next group and some amount. We've been doing that. And one thing that is not every church, this will work for every church, but for a church that begins to have layered staff, mm -hmm. I mean, we're really um, focusing on multi-generational staff. I mean, we will. Mm -hmm. we, we have a guy that's 27 and you got me. There's the group in between is missing in our church. That's probably my next staff call. And, you know, it was a, a weird thing I just shared with y'all. Well, on the other end, we talked a lot about the younger guys, but I live in Brevard now, and you know, 60% of our population are probably retirees coming. Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And so many of the church starts have focused just on the younger. And I did too. I took a church that was, I'm a revitalizer, it was down, really focused on the young, had a lot of young growth. I had a lady join my church recently, and she said, You can't, I, we had set forth our plan that in a few years we'll call our associate pastor that will probably be the next pastor and we'll do a handoff so they don't go through that interim. And she's like, You can't go. You might hand it off, but you can't go. And she said, well, she said, there'll be nobody to do our funerals. There's nobody we identify with. There's nobody, the older generation of our has been left out. I just joined your church because nobody would minister to my age group. Mm. And I'm like, no. So I'm not retiring then. I'm just shifting. I'll give him the brains, and I'll step back and do the senior adult role. Mm. But I think the generational roles, like, I mean, multi-ethnic too. You know, if you want to reach, mm -hmm. have a multi-ethnic church, you've got to have a multi-ethnic staff. There you go. The same thing yeah. Is, if you're able to call staff, 
I mean, not every church can for sure, but if you are, I think for us, we've made an intentional desire to try to fill in those gaps. Yeah. I think it all boils down to um, your, your, your demographics. You have to look at your demographics, study your demographics, know who's in your community, and begin to find out what are the programs, what are the ministries, what are the, the classes and programs that you can put together for the people in your, in your community. We forget about the people in the community, and we, again, minister to people in the church. So you got to look outside the church. Guys, it's 1130. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. You had a question. No, you know, I was going to say, I'm one of those guys you say it's set in his ways. <laughs> I, I, I don't have any problem with change if it's explained to me. And okay. there's a reason behind it. I don't like change for the sake of change. If I can understand why it's being done, I'll probably be on board. All right. I appreciate that. I got something like that. Too. All right, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All righty. All right. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. Have a great one. All right. All righty. All right. Bless you. Bless you. All right. All righty. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Have a good one. All right. All right, thank you. All righty. All righty. Okay. The church I did.